0: Where are you in the world? I'm in
1: Dartford. Dartford, down, down in Kent.
0: Ah, very nice. My, my grandma was born in Chislehurst.
1: Ah, oh, well, that is very nice, yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure that Dartford quite qualifies but, um, um, for, the, for the subricade, nice. But, uh, yeah, I was driving through Chislehurst the other day. It's so. lovely big houses. Postpone my other work. That's, that's fine. <laughs>
0: That's freelance life. I'll leave that in. Well, because...
1: uh, that's, that's the problem, really. I, um, um, I, I have a permanent job as, uh, as well as in the freelance work, uh, which sadly I had to succumb to a few years ago when I, I realised the writing was on the wall as far as uh, reliable income from music journalism was concerned. I uh, work, a, work a proper job for Virgin Media.
0: Faith, uh, the 33 and a 3rd book that Matthew Horton, which is you, have put out. I spoke to Annie Zaleski who wrote the one about Rio of Duran Duran so I imagine that your books will pop up with each other in the algorithm so viewers who liked Rio or liked Faith will like Faith or Rio. Uh, Have you read it, the Rio book yet?
1: Yes I have I I read it earlier this year Um, I I spoke to her, I mean I've I've never met her but you know I've exchanged uh, messages on uh, social media since all, all this has been going on um and uh, i did say to her i'm i bought it but i'm not touching it until i finish mine you know because like, like you say the algorithm uh, is will probably bring them quite close and i, I was thinking this there's, there's going to be perspectives i'm sure that uh potentially clash and uh, might inform what i'm doing so i so i left it alone until i inside until um, hand handling my final manuscript and uh, and then read it, and I loved it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great book. It was the the first album I ever got was uh, Rio, so uh, mm. it had a, had a place in my heart. Uh, I think it might have been one I considered submitting myself years ago, but I, I, ne- I never wrote a proposal for that. But, uh, yes, uh, my parents bought it for me. Well, Father Christmas bought it for mm-hmm. me in uh, Christmas 82, the... My very
0: close cassette. The bassist guy Pratt has a gag in his show My Bass and Other Animals where every Durand Duran bass line goes bum 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 and it's true. Every <laughs> bass line is dum 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 because it's a very simple bass line to play, but it's also melodic and hooky. Um but yes, enough about Annie and about uh her life. Uh I want to talk about A Thousand and One Songs to Hear Before You Die, because on your website, it uh, says that you like to write about music to hear before you die. And I counted about 70 entries. I counted them all out, counted them back in uh, that you contributed to this book. So I've got the albums one, but not the songs one. And I feel I need the songs one. Uh, because there are songs that I've heard and that I've loved uh, and 70 with the initials MH behind it. So before we talk about the songs, what is the process of being a contributor to a compendium like that? And is it fun?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So th- that was kind of a, a friend of a friend thing, really. It was So um, back in uh, whenever that was, the, it was the, the late noughties, 2008, 2009 sort of time. Um, I was working at Orange Music um, on the... Um, well, I was working at Orange on the music site. My uh, my boss um, was Pat Long, who sent oh, yeah. me. of yeah. Yeah. He um and uh, he obviously was a former enemy writer, and he uh, had uh, good contacts, and he was a lovely guy, he was a good friend. But any anyway, uh, he um been uh, asked to contribute to it, and I think uh, the editor they had two editors on it. One doing like uh, 1950s up to 1980, and then. Uh, and then the rest of it, the other guy doing the rest of it. But uh, the guy doing the fifties uh, to the eighties uh, had, had said to Pat, you know anyone else?" And he said, "You know, I work with I work with Matthew." So, um, so he got in touch with me, and that was um, that was great. And I started working on that, and uh, and uh, I realised I was only getting offered. You know, he was sending out spreadsheets of songs from the 50s, 60s, and seventies, and I was, I say, you know. Uh, my real forte is the 80s, you know, that's when that's when I really got into stuff, and uh, so I got put in touch with the other editor there, and that's when I really started doing loads of them, because it was so close to my heart and I had a lot to say about these things, and it was a process of spreadsheets being sent out, and you just uh, ticked off the ones you're interested in doing, and I, and I guess the editors just, if there were clashes, they decided who would be who would be best to do this and the other, and then... Uh, and then you were given a certain amount of time to do them, and the the time, the schedules got uh, shorter and shorter. Mm. You know, you, you suddenly get an email going, Can you write, you know, the first lot would be, uh, Could you do about these 10 songs for the end of the month? And then uh, after a while, it'd be, Could you do these five by tomorrow?
0: Deadlines. Um, I love a deadline <laughs> I love the sound of them whooshing past I mean, Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Adams, I've got you there yeah, good. Um, I have contributed to the album's book as well but
1: only in later editions so that was, that was the first thing I came in on the, the songs
0: mm. and,
1: uh, um, I mean contrary to what we're going to talk about today really um, I've, I've always been more of a singles guy than an album so I was, you know um, that's what my collection is really based around what's um, your, so, your
0: favourite Beatles album? Oh,
1: um, <laughs> I lean towards Rubber soul.
0: Ah, Absolutely. well, mine um, is the best of the Beatles. That, that uh, one just hopped into my head because he's right. That one,
1: that one. That one
0: yeah. <laughs> Alan, Alan Partridge is quite right. Uh, let's go through some of these 80s would-bes by Skritti Politti. Yeah, what I'm interested in, in uh, the charts... What songs will be heard in a hundred years' time? Much like something yeah. like Elgar's *Nimrod* is heard today. So something like *Woodbees*, *True Colors*, which has become an anthem for oppressed people, *Buffalo Gals*, which still sounds fresh. A lot of these are records. They're they're not songs. they're you know the difference between a song and a record. A record is the production, a song is the composition. Yeah. So these are great records that you've got uh, uh, described. Uh, in this thousand and one, before you die, "Ice Blink Luck" by Cocteau Twins. There is, of course, no other song with "Ice Blink" in the title. Were you a fan of the Cocktoes? I was
1: only mildly. In, in fact, I was told to do that one. Oddly, uh, "Ice Blink Luck," which um, which I was dimly aware of from when it was, when it was a minor minor hit in 1990. But that I mean that got me into them. You know, I I, um, I play that all the time. "Ice Blink Luck," you say. So. It's a bona fide classic.
0: It is. Much as Never Let Me Down Again by Depeche Mode. Sun Always Shines on TV by Aha, which is again a magnificent production of Morton Harkett's vocal. Situation by Yazoo. You must have loved that. If you loved Duran Duran, you must have loved Yazoo.
1: Yes, I managed to do a nice uh, digression on Yazoo in the in the book actually, um, oh. for for a, for a page or two, which uh, one of one of the editors who looked at it was uh, saying. I mean, this is nice. Are you sure you need this? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's going to love this. This is a two-page on
0: your zoo and Alison Moyer. There are, there are a few things I learned in the pieces, which are all, is it MatthewHorton.com, your portfolio? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, they're all there, and you can zoom in and read the text, but do buy 1001 songs to hear before you die, before you die. Um, I didn't know that the Blue Nile were the Lynn Hi-Fi Showcase Band. That explains a lot about their sound. People might not know the Blue Nile, but they are marvellous.
1: Oh, 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 totally, yes. Uh, I mean, the, the story is, isn't it, uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't read my piece for a while, actually, but uh, they had persuaded Lynn to set up a record company, hadn't they? Uh, um, just just for them.
0: Yes, it was on Lynn Records, L-I-N-N, not Lynn as in Alan Partridge. He was getting a lot yeah, of airtime today. Uh, I think also... yeah. I also didn't know that Steve Winwood, A When You See While well, You See a Chance, came out in nineteen eighty. God, it sounds so fresh for nineteen eighty. And yeah, he played yeah, everything good. on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, proper auteur. Yeah. Mm.
0: No one but really talked about. Is it because he so everyone talks about George Michael, etc.? But no one ever mentions, you know who's really great? Steve Winwood. He was in about four bands and uh inspired. Call On Me by Eric Prydz.
1: Well, yes, uh, which, will, you know, you're talking about songs that will be around hundred years. You know, that'll probably end up his legacy, won't yep. it? Um, whether, whether, whether he likes it or not. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess uh, he's kind of publicity shy, isn't he, really? I think that's... Uh, no, I don't know. That not even stop you being uh, fated.
0: Mm. No, it shouldn't. <laughs> A lot of the acts that you um, write about Robin with Every Heartbeat, uh, Damon Albarn, Stylo, that's the Bobby Womack one. Yeah, I think obviously you get what you give uh, is one of the thousand one songs to hear before you die. Um, Greg Alexander came and went because he, he definitely didn't want the, the thrill. Sex Machine by James Brown. Surf's Up by the Beach Boys. Um, I'll Take You There by the Staple Singers, Higher and Higher, Jackie Wilson. Born to Be With You by Dion. Now, given that <clears throat> Phil Spector killed someone and died in jail, does that make the songs that he worked on? Like river deep, mountain high, and on and on and on. Does that make them less, or can we completely divorce the auteur from the art?
1: Oh, <laughs> I can't believe I've been thrown this one. Use both sides of A <laughs> four. <know, A4>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, we all agonise over this, don't we? You know, you, you know, it's, it's obviously easy to uh, to. Uh, Combine the art and and, and the artist. If 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 someone's done something bad and you don't and you don't really like them, you know you, you're you're quite happy to assign that to, them to history. Um, and it's, it's not so difficult. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, everyone uh, um, is ends up a little bit disingenuous about this um, because yeah, I, I still play what a Christmas gift for you every Christmas. Yep. You know, I uh, and uh, yes, born to be with you is a, is a it's a great album and uh, I've certainly listened to that in the last few months um, yeah I think I am um, subconsciously or otherwise divorcing art and artist
0: uh, of well what about um, Doctor Who the Tardis Doctor Who that song by the KLF I was humming that sorry the Time Lord the car I was humming that two hours ago completely unaware that that drum beat comes from uh, a song by a convicted paedophile who is still in jail yep. um, it, the and with Michael Jackson um Dorian Linsky said Billy Jean is uncancellable and my line is well a melody didn't sleep with a child
1: yeah I mean yes uh, obviously Dorian's always got a point it does surprise me with Michael Jackson really that he's consistently played on the radio still mm. um every, every time because uh, uh, obviously it's hugely popular and uh, and so many people are quite prepared to forget that. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's harder. That, that, that's harder
0: for me. I, I don't know why. Again, so many other songs to hear before you die. With um, Rebellion Lies by Arcade. Ah, there's another one. Keep Running Into Trouble. Fix You by Coldplay. Chris Martin's done nothing wrong. Um, maybe he knew where Goop was heading and he wanted to jump ship. Uh, yeah. and just drop the kids off with mum. Every few weeks. Uh, I hope you by Shigeros. Little Bear by Guillemot is a great choice because Fife Dangerfield in another era would have been a globe conquering star. For some reason, it didn't work for him.
1: Yes. I do often wonder about them. I do uh, have a little poke around the internet sometimes to see uh, see what's happening there, you know, but it's. Uh, well, Guillemots haven't really, uh, are not uh, strictly uh, gone, but haven't released an album in 10 years, is it, I suppose?
0: And I'm looking at Through the Wire, but I'm not going to touch the author. But well, here we go. Yeah, there's,
1: there's another one. Yeah.
0: No. yeah. But you've, you've picked <sighs> some great records. D.A.N.C. by Justice, Slower East Side Artiste by Santi Gold or Santo Gold, whichever she called herself then. Uh, Music Sounds Better With You. Uh, Confide In Me by Kylie Minogue. What a pop song. I was six when that came out and it sounded like nothing I'd heard before it does it astound you when you with your older ears hear something completely novel or is it harder and harder to find something novel
1: no I don't think so um, I'm very open to everything more than I was I think when I when I was younger but it may be because I was so pop obsessed as a kid and as an adolescent that uh, I didn't need much further than need to get much further than the charts and so I wasn't so now, now I'm quite happy to listen to some uh, avant jazz, etc., et, et and and just try and find something new. But I think that's me moving away from the pop charts, where I, uh, where I, well, I, I was listening to the top forty the other week and uh, and uh, the whole lot, trying to uh, trying to find something something special, and uh, and was uh, mainly disappointed. Um, yeah, I'm still blown away by
0: stuff. Yeah, um, it's just uh, you have to go searching. Yes, and indeed. Uh, One place to go. Here's a segue. The Quietus. Uh, You write for it. It's um, gone, as you said at the top of the show, Matthew Horton, author of Faith in the 33 and a Third Series. What number is it? What catalogue number? One hundred and... One hundred
1: and sixty-five.
0: Very nice. I think that might be George Michael's height in feet and uh, in centimetres. It may well be, yeah. Um, Yes, it's about Faith by George Michael. Um, The Quietus, they are mission statement is beyond the top 40 and indeed beyond the top 400 weird stuff do you get a subscription thrown in if you write for them because i guess you're expected to subscribe if you write and you can subscribe for 60 pounds annually or seven pounds per month
1: do you know what you don't get one thrown in but uh you know i'm uh, i'm happy to cut this, uh, quite as any amount of slack on that really you know they're uh They've, uh, they've done extraordinarily well to keep... Uh, it's been, what, 15 years now, I mm-hmm. think it has, in a terrible, terrible business, really. And, uh, and they've, they've managed to sustain themselves, and I'm always happy to happy to support them.
0: Good um, music writing. I, I always like to ask music critics, yes, but do you know what a crotchet is? Do you know what key this tune is in? Um, I'm yeah, not I just going to do all of that, yeah. I'm not going to try that with you. But I think music criticism so often is, like politics, it's about feeling and the vibe and about how something makes you react. Usually it's the lyric or the texture, um, and both lyric and texture are bound up in the record of 1987, uh, which was the year Bad came out. So Bad and uh, Faith came out within weeks of each other.
1: Yeah, bad. Slightly, slightly before, was it? It was a minor anecdote uh, w- with one of the one of the chaps I interviewed for the book. Who, well, I'd say it was um, Roddy Matthews, who's uh, a guitarist and he uh, and now and now a music media lecturer. But he um, he had uh, he played guitar on just on just one of the tracks on on Monkey on the album. And uh, one of the things he was telling me was how he couldn't really get through to George Michael how he, he felt he was. Uh, not, well, not so much blank canvas as just just uh, a, a guy with a with a facade, up, with a with a barrier, up. and uh, and he said. But there was one moment when I actually made George Michael laugh <laughs> sitting in the studio. Right? And I came, he said, I uh, I came in and I, and, uh, and I said, oh I've just heard that new Michael Jackson single, and he, he starts doing an impression. He goes, uh, I mean, really, what 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 do you think he's talking about? Going, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm really really bad. You know, that's the. Um, that's me doing, Roddy Matthews doing. Uh, <laughs>
0: That's what, George And, and George, George Michael laughed, he
1: said. "Barry, uh, that, was, that was his greatest achievement on
0: the record, I think. Brilliant. That, my favourite anecdote about Bad is that uh, that was due to be a duet with, you should know this, Prince. Yes. Yes, and uh, when Prince heard the first line of the song, he went, not doing that. Um, but I love that. Mum had it on cassette and I listened to, she actually had Faith and Bad on cassette and then she had Me. Uh, So these albums came out while I was within the uterus of my mum. Faith is about confusion, insecurity and sizzling ambition. Uh, It was made by a 24-year-old man who had purposefully finished his band because it was all about being young and being fun, and at 23... George Michael could only sell that so much. Did you, uh, not did you go to the gig at Wembley Stadium, but were you aware of people who did?
1: Um, yeah, I was aware of people. No, I, um, I, did, I just didn't have those kind of options at the time. Neither neither money nor uh, being uh, able to go to these things uh, by uh, parental uh, permission. So what, what was I? I was uh, I just turned 14. Um, yeah, I'm considerably older than you, John. Yeah.
0: Mm, sorry.
1: Um, <laughs> It's all right.
0: I get reminders every day of my uh, ancient uh, age. But um, What's, a, um, T- what's no. a TDX cassette, Uncle Matthew? Um, yeah, <laughs> so, so so, 86, he dissolved the band. Pepsi and Shirley had their career. And I love the fact that Pepsi and Shirley were kept off number one by George Michael yeah. and Aretha Franklin. Because uh, I'm looking at George Michael for his... George Michael at 60 next year. So uh, this book, Faith, part of the 33 and the Third Series, will be useful uh, for my... Project. Gambo is in the acknowledgements. How did you get to Gambo?
1: Well, I felt he was someone I really needed to speak to because he was a, he was a friend and he's a friend of George Michael's and he... Um, well, it's such a great pop commentator, and uh, i thought I thought there'd be there'd be riches to have there and so i uh went through a, a twitter mutual Sharon Hanley, who's um the uh head of p r for um Radio Two and said you know can you get can you get in touch with Gambo? you know is it, I, I just want to have a chat with him you know and she she just dropped him a line and he emailed me back like that day, I think. To say yeah 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 he's perfectly up i think he just likes to have a chat about his things he likes to get his uh, theories out in the world and he's he's, he's got plenty of them and uh and insights theories and uh so that was that was brilliant um you know he's been uh I'm not sure "hero" is the right word, but he's, uh, he's someone I've, I've admired for his uh, forensic pop knowledge uh, forever, really, ever since I, uh, since I bought the British, uh, the Guinness Book of British Hit Singles back in 1983, I think it was, and, yeah. uh, and learned all the charts that I hadn't witnessed. Uh, um, uh, from before I was born you know and I've I've, he's always been synonymous with that with
0: that for me I think George Michael did that as well he would listen to the top 40 as would I I got to about 16 when I realized hang on the music's really awful and I switched to Radio 2 so I've been listening to Radio 2 for about 18 years and uh, there was a show on last year about Older 25 years of Older uh, which was his third album Older so Faith listen with that prejudice then he had the lawsuit and then older and he'd also lost his partner uh, through a brain hemorrhage yeah. caused by hiv so george michael's life and his music are synonymous because he he wrote about his life
1: Yes, to- totally. I mean, uh, he was hiding things clearly and certainly around around this kind of time. Although the uh, the tabloids, etc., and and fellow pop stars, some fellow pop stars were always trying to trying to out him. Um, he um, he was very much um, keeping that private. Um, so so it's it's a matter of interpretation what you're what you're finding in, in the lyrics. But yeah, I think it, after Faith, when he uh, he realised he. Um, he didn't really want that level of success, and he didn't want the light shone on his private life and uh, withdrew from all of that. Then everything became much more personal, I think, after that. Yeah, and, yeah clearly, clearly older is the uh, apotheosis of that.
0: Uh, well, and a couple of things. I don't think it's crass to compare him with the Beatles. Huge teen success. Went on tour, hated being on tour because he couldn't control anything. Admittedly, uh, the PA was better. By the time he went on his big world tour, he actually played Rio de Janeiro in 91 and then more or less stopped. Um, yeah. had the personal bereavements, but he produced all his own stuff like Steve Winwood or Lenny Kravitz. He produced every note. Do you like his production style?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, for me, it's a, it's a lovely clean sound. I think that was what really, uh, Turned me on to any sort of production in the uh, certainly in the 80s. That's why it
0: still appeals to me. I think. Yeah, and th- that production is it's very echoey. There is a chapter in your book called "I Will Be Your Adult Contemporary," and he was yeah. he was the king of music for older people or Radio Two listeners. If you don't know what adult contemporary is, listen to Radio Two at any hour of the day, and that's it. It's like grown-up love songs. But he had four number yeah. ones from this album in America. He was enormous.
1: Yeah. Truly extraordinary. I mean, I mean, until I, until I started uh, started researching the book, I didn't really quite realise the, uh, the enormity of his, his fame and success in America because you know he it, it was, it was a legend here already and had been very quickly and, uh, and remained so. But um, you know, the, the album wasn't wasn't pulling the number ones over here. You know, the, although the album itself was. Um, but in America, yeah, everything went there, you know, even, even when you get to, get to a track like Monkey, which was you know a good track, I like it a lot. But it's, it's, it's when you're starting to scrape the bottom of the album, you know, and uh, yeah, no, straight up to the top as well.
0: And it was because of this Jam and Lewis remix. Yeah, I'm also, I mean, in the next few years, yeah. I want to work on, I don't know if I can write it as a middle class, fourth generation Jew from Bushy. But um, the men <laughs> who made the world swing, Jimmy and Terry, are two of them. There's eight of them. And that remix, the eight minute version, I put it on and it instantly gets me in a good mood. I think it's because of the way George Michael says the word bass is what I love about it. So so George Michael really took the black audience with him. And this started, I guess, when he duetted with Smokey Robinson... And Stevie Wonder at the Apollo celebration.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's generally regarded as uh, as when he when he made that move. Uh, I mean, yeah, is it's that and, and and the voice, you know, the the very rudimentaries of that, the, the blue eyed soul voice, you know, that, that carries the uh, the kind of emotion you you expect from a from a soul singer.
0: Hmm. And he didn't really. It, I mean, he sounded a bit like Simon Le Bon because the voices were <laughs> in the same region, but. He was born with the gift of this voice. It seems from what I've read about George, the voice was his gift, and it frightened him how rich, it was, and how rich it made him.
1: Yeah, yeah, not not quite the Sam Le honk. Yeah, that, that's probably a bit unfair.
0: <laughs> yes, George Michael didn't ask for his vocals to be wiped from the Live Aid DVD, <laughs> like Le yeah,
1: yes. I never saw that at the time. I was uh, my my mum was in hospital. Well, she was having my having my brother, so she oh, yeah. was. Uh, uh, well, in, that's, uh, that's a serious digression anyway. She was in the hospital for a week for, for whatever reason, and uh, and so I was at home. and My dad, uh, who had no interest in pop music at all, tolerated Live Aid being on all day. Um, and then because uh, Duran Duran, I was, as I've said before, I was uh, I was very keen on them, and I was and they were forming in Philadelphia, and it was going to be it going to be on TV over here at like I don't know, about one or two in the morning so I got uh, permission from my dad to sleep in the living room and I set a clock radio alarm just in case I fell asleep to uh, see Duran Duran and I slept right through it and never saw that missed that glorious moment uh,
0: right.
1: until I saw it on YouTube 20, 30 years later
0: Yes, and, and I think it's on there when I got the DVD and I was, I was running about, uh, was it 30 years since Live Aid yeah. some of it stands up, some of it has dated Uh, But it's all now nostalgia. I mean, it's nearly 40 years ago, that era. Yeah.
1: Yes, it is.
0: And, uh, yes, and and those acts who made money because there was a record industry, and then there wasn't. Uh, Faith was the biggest-selling single and the biggest-selling album in America in 1988, Mm -hmm. outselling Michael Jackson, which I find astonishing. And it was because white and black audiences, and they, they are treated separately, United to listen to faith, so as a consensus figure, maybe George Michael was the biggest of them all.
1: Yes, may- maybe so. I mean, that was the aim. He wanted to, that was the sizzling ambition that uh, that was mentioned on the blurb uh, there. But I mean, that's 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 what he was going for. To, uh, to well, to at least compete with uh, with Michael Jackson, with Prince, and uh, Madonna, of course, you know, and uh, Terence Trent D'Arby, you know, mm-hmm. um, and. <laughs> And he did it, which is, uh, that's the doing of George Michael, isn't it? That's
0: the uh, managing to break away from your team group and become the biggest star in the world, you know, just just because you want to be. Which Michael Jackson had done with Off the Wall, even younger, but then you he uh, did start a yeah. lot earlier. Obviously, he's not the one that married white and black. That's Elvis Presley. Would, is it crass? Is it stupid to say George Michael was a British Elvis, even bigger than Cliff, perhaps?
1: i don't think it's crash. no I, I think that's fair enough you know but a lot of it's invitation as well i mean you know you look at uh you look at fake look at, look at the, the fake video and that's the, that's the kind of uh symbol he's trying to project isn't it i think
0: of course
1: uh once you draw those conclusions anyway
0: because it's all image he knew how to play the image uh, yeah. because wham wham was all about image
1: that's right yes but he finally grew tired of
0: What was your reaction when he didn't promote the second album?
1: I just, I, I remember thinking it was, it was extremely odd. I don't think I was on board with the, with the idea. You know, I wanted to see George Michael everywhere. I was a, I was a big fan, clearly. Yeah, I, I wanted him all over the place. It's, it's enjoyable. It was enjoyable. I don't know, things like uh, Freedom 90, where he's just got the supermodels in the video. That's, um, you think that's clever. But, uh, um, yeah, at the time, I just, uh, I just wanted to hear what he had to say.
0: And he had lots to say. And Mm. I wonder if, had he come up in this era, he would have dominated... Well, he dominated the press in the 90s because they wanted to get money from saying, George is gay, because that was the culture then. But he would have been a renter quote. He would have been asked about everything, and he would have given a quote.
1: He would have been outstanding for it. You know, he's an extremely smart guy, extremely thoughtful, you know, beyond the... uh, the white teeth and shuttlecock images, you know, of the, uh, of the Wham days, you know, uh, reading through all the old articles, you know, he, uh, he's got something to say about everything. And he, um, you know, he, he can uh, rebuff any sort of criticism because he's, he's thought about it. You know, sometimes it felt like he was, uh, a little revisionist. I enjoy, uh, all the interviews around, I want your sex where, um, um you know, there's, a. There's Mary Whitehouse and similar campaigners saying it's irresponsible in the days of uh, AIDS, and uh, and George Michael insisting that no, this this you know as he's got it in the video, daubing uh, monogamy and lipstick on uh, Cathy Owen's back, insisting it's all about safe sex. You know, I uh, I think he's uh, he was kind of moving the goalposts. But anyway, yes, he, uh, he his interviews have always got uh, something deep to
0: say, and he um, he put out his memoir Bear in which he didn't. Because he could have come out in a book, but he didn't. What was the point yeah. of Bear? <laughs> That's a good question.
1: Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's trailing your coat somewhat. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure. You're absolutely right. If, you, if you're trying to tell your side of the story and then you're not giving your side of the story, it's, uh, it's uh, quite bizarre. Um, it's a good read. Um, yeah, yeah, there's obviously an elephant in the room.
0: I suppose he's trying to do what Taylor Swift is doing today, or Beyonce, most impressively. She's the best at it. Controlling that, Or Rylan. Not, not to be stupid about this. Rylan is controlling his narrative. Yes, he had a, a phenomenal breakdown, but he's doing interviews, he's put out a book, he's back on the radio every week. So Rylan is, is an inheritor of George Michael's mantle. Not really. Uh, but yes, the, the modern-day celebrity... Can be in control of their own social media, but George Michael had to use what was available to him, i.e., music, television, and the press. And he did—he did this by not doing many interviews. He gave one to the big issue once. That's
1: right. Yes. Was that around? Was that around the release of older?
0: Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and he really didn't do. He did the Detroit Free Press because he's a big fan of Motown. Um, yeah. The P- being a PR for George Michael must have been the toughest job in the world.
1: Yeah, it, uh, yeah. It, uh, I spoke to his manager at the time, time of fate and uh, he uh, he did seem to find it uh, quite a frustrating uh, uh, period of his life. He enjoyed the, enjoyed the, the success, and then seeing his uh, seeing his client go stratospheric, but. Uh, grew more and more puzzled with the way he was uh, behaving after that. Mm. You know, that was Rob Kahane. He was the guy who he didn't come off too well in uh, when the court case came around in the 90s. But, he, uh, he, you know, he was the guy who had to tell, tell the record company that there was going to be no um, publicity for Listen Without Prejudice. And they were uh, obviously nonplussed.
0: Well, it um, saved them a lot of money. Because imagine the marketing <laughs> budget for that. It must have been in the millions.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't stop it being a huge success. It's just... Uh, you can imagine what it what it could have been if he had uh, if he'd been out there front and centre as well. But yeah, he uh, I mean, George in his last few years, and uh, he would, took to took to Twitter like a duck to water, didn't he? He was uh, he was a lot of fun on there. He, uh, I think he enjoyed doing that.
0: When we first started speaking about George, I said I live in Bushy, and you said. I lived in Bushy too. So, where exactly in Bushy were you?
1: I lived at uh, the top of Giant Tree Hill. Um, so, it was at the very edge of the RAF patch because my, mm. my dad was a squadron leader at the time. Um, the very edge of it onto the California Lane is yep. the road base. Yeah, that's where I was there from
0: 79 when we moved there. I was there for three or four years. So, you may, uh, have, you may have rubbed shoulders with YOG.
1: Well, you know, I've always thought that, yeah, uh, as I said to you before, I I felt there was a there was some sort of kinship. When when I first read about Wham in you know in, uh, in uh, interviews in early eighty three, and they were talking about the wall game at uh, Bushy Meads School, and I thought if we'd stuck around, we moved to moved to when I was when I was ten, and in, further into Hertfordshire, But um, if we'd stuck around Bushy Meads, that may may have been where I where would ended up. Thought yeah, and I kind of followed in their footsteps, but I had no discernible musical talent, so uh, so you know just uh, pretend I have by writing about it.
0: And yep. this book um, is, uh, came out in June in America, came out in September here. What's been the reaction in the States?
1: Well, from what I've heard, very good. You know, they were they were very excited about it at, uh, at the time because um, the 33 and third books, uh, as you know, they tend to be um, a little bit more indie, I suppose. Um, you know, or classic rock, uh, that that kind of thing. Something, something pure pop. There's only a handful of what you've considered to be to be pure pop books, so, uh, so people were excited about uh, that kind of perspective coming out of the series. Um, I mean, as far as sales numbers concerned, I don't really know yet. Um, but uh, so on its second print run, oh, so uh, someone must have been buying it. That's you know, very good. Unless they just printed 25 in the first place, you know, and uh, they all went straight away.
0: Now, it's, it's going to be his 60th birthday next year, all kinds of anniversaries popping up. So there may be a Philip of sales next year. June twenty fifth is the date, and I'm hopefully going to be doing something around it. Uh, but yeah, I import- we'll see you. <laughs> thank you very much. Oh, yeah, well, because I've I've half written a script. I, I'll perform it somewhere in Watford, um, and I can sing George because he's he's well within my range. Do you have a favourite unsung George Michael song? One of his deep cuts
1: it's uh well <laughs> it's hard to think of a deep cut everything's so popular um the things i'm like, um, waiting for that day um for for a lesser single on uh on listen without prejudice that's mm. one of the ones i like i like to walk along to something to save as well on there yeah but, yeah i've always considered these in my register but i won't show that off uh
0: right now uh but yes not sober <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, haven't started yet Number 165 in the 33 and a third series is Faith. Matthew Horton is the author. Thank you very, very much indeed, and thank you for writing this book and uh, for getting Gambo, Paul Gambaccini, we should say, involved as well, you worry. A credit to Gambo's pop knowledge.